The Athletic. Good morning and welcome to the briefing show from The Athletic. It's Tuesday the 4th of April. I'm Joey Derso and here's everything you need to know from the world of football. Today, we're asking, should Graham Potter take all the blame for the chaos at Chelsea? We heard of players who were having to sit on the floor because there was no space for them, not enough chairs. How has it gone so sour for Messi that he's being booed by PSG fans? It just feels like he's not quite settled, not quite at home. And with talk of Barcelona and and everything else, it only adds to the sense. And how did Spurs respond to the withering criticism of ex-manager Antonio Conte? This is The Briefing Show from The Athletic. Tottenham squandered a one-goal and a one-man advantage at Everton last night. And that 1-1 draw lifts them only to fourth. We'll discuss that later on. But the agenda is still dominated by Chelsea and the fallout from their decision to part ways with Graham Potter. It's been a nightmare of a season for them. They're languishing down in 11th place in the table, having won just 10 Premier League games all season, scoring a measly 29 goals. So how did it fall apart for Potter? And is it really all his fault? With the inside scoop on the former Brighton boss's tumultuous six months in West London, here's David Ornstein. So David, what have you found out about these mad few months at Chelsea? Yeah, mad is definitely a good way of describing it. And I don't mean it as an insult, but perhaps that's the nature of the beast when you've got new owners who only arrived in May 2022. They parted with Thomas Tuchel. They spent a huge amount of money in the summer and January transfer windows. They've now parted with Graham Potter. They are learning on the job. And because of that, you hear all manner of stories. Too many players, for example, because of all the investment and not a great deal of shedding of excess squad members. We know of... A match that was played in training last week on one pitch and 11 versus 11 on the pitch next to it. I think it was a nine versus nine. And normally if you heard about that, it would be first team players on one pitch, youth team players on another, or maybe even youth team players making up some of the match on the first team pitch. But this was all first team players. And that goes to show the difficulty perhaps Graham Potter faced in in juggling a bloated group of players. It extends to meetings. We heard of players who were having to sit on the floor because there was no space for them, not enough chairs. Even in the case of the changing rooms, some players would have to get themselves ready for sessions at Cobham on a sofa or a bench or, or some kind of uh, alternative seating outside of the main dressing room because of uh, limited space for all of these players. So, so so that's that's one part of it. You also hear a lot of anecdotal evidence of owners who are still really getting to grips with it, uh, a new environment of sporting directors who uh, have been placed in charge of the, the football project at Chelsea, uh, having never really done that before. So again, it's no disrespect, but they are 
finding their feet at one of the biggest clubs in world football. For more depth on Potter's demise, head to The Athletic for a big read packed with exclusive information on how it all went wrong. And make sure you're subscribed to The Athletic Football Podcast, where Mark Chapman and the team will be on the case with a brand new episode today. That's the sound of a section of PSG fans booing the name of Lionel Messi ahead of PSG's 1-0 defeat to Lyon on Sunday. The World Cup winner lost possession 26 times as PSG fell to their second successive defeat at home, their third defeat in four matches across all competitions. The French champions are six points clear of second-place Lens in Ligue 1, but the pressure is piling on boss Christophe Gaultier after their Champions League exit by Bayern Munich last month. With me to discuss Messi and the mess at the Parc des Princes is the Athletics PSG correspondent Peter Rutzler. Peter, why are the fans booing him? It seems strange, doesn't it? The the player has just won the World Cup, regarded as one of the greatest, if not the greatest players ever. However, it feels a bit like it's gone stale at the Parc des Princes for Messi. His form post-World Cup has not been as electric as we're all used to. And PSG themselves overall have, have lost the momentum that they had before the World Cup. They were unbeaten before the tournament. And then since then, they've just not hit the same heights. You know, in 2023, they've they've lost eight games in all competitions. That's their worst run within 18 games since 2001. And, and Messi, his contract expires in the summer. That uncertainty about what he will do next, where he's going, his relationship with the supporters, particularly with the ultras as well. It's all come under the spotlight a little bit. And with performances like Sunday night against Lyon, where he still created five chances, the most of anyone else on the pitch, I think, combined. Yet he was doing things that he doesn't normally do or the things that we don't associate with Messi, a loose touch, a loose pass. Those moments of, of real quality were, were seem to lack. And it just feels like he's not quite settled, not quite at home. And with talk of Barcelona and, and everything else, it only adds to the sense. How much truth is there to the reports of Messi returning to Barcelona? Well, they won't go away, those reports, but some of the basic fundamentals of the situation remains. He left Barcelona because of their financial situation and their financial situation remains an issue. He would not be a cheap player to to take back. When it comes to clubs who'd be willing to take him, the pool seems relatively small, particularly at the highest level, at the very highest level competing for the Champions League in Europe. If the circumstances were right and the finances were right, you wouldn't bet against Messi going back there. And when it comes to the manager, there are some big names on the market at the moment. Antonio Conte, Julian Nagelsmann. PSG aren't known for their loyalty to managers. So how much longer do you think Christophe Gaultier has? For, for Gaultier, results like the defeat to Lyon, like the defeat at Rennes, it feels like they're really staggering towards the line. And there may come a point where if these results continue and the gap between the chasing pack and themselves continues to tighten, then they may even greater calls for for a change and the fact that there are some high quality managers who may get poached by other big teams so the current market of managers is working against Galtier you know if if the options become more limited and the performances don't improve either I think it becomes harder and harder for him to keep his job Foul by Kane a little bit of afters, oh, the core is lashed out there. No, 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 no. Trouble for Abdoulaye Ducouré, big trouble. Tottenham's new era began last night with, well, the same failings that characterised the end of the last one. Which is hardly surprising, really, given that they replaced the old number one 
Antonio Conte, with his number two, Christian Cellini. Spurs could have gone third had they held on to a 1-0 lead, earned with a Harry Kane penalty that came 10 minutes after Abdoulaye Dekore, scorer or creator of Everton's last four goals, was dismissed for striking him in the face on the hour. But Spurs sat back on their lead and were duly punished by a majestic 90th minute strike from Michael Keane of all people. Spurs go fourth, Everton go 15th, and I caught up with the Athletics' Tottenham Hotspur reporter Charlie Eccleshare shortly after the final whistle on Merseyside. Charlie, Conte called the Spurs players lazy and selfish before he left the club last week. Did he have a bit of a point? Yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't one that a performance that refuted Conte's idea that the players kind of wilted under pressure. I mean, that their response to going ahead was staggering, really. I mean, they were ahead with the extra man and they just retreated into themselves exactly like they'd done at Southampton. I mean, I think even worse in some ways because they did have the extra man. So, yeah, I mean, certainly wasn't one in the eye for Conte, that's for sure. I mean, I guess the question is the extent to which has their confidence been affected by him and by what he said? I don't know. I think that's giving them a bit of an easy way out. I think it was just another one where they were, you know, big questions were asked of them and they didn't answer them, basically. So was this in any way a, a new look Spurs under Cellini or just very much the same side like Antonio Conte's? Well, pretty similar. I mean, same system, same personnel, really. I mean, there were a few changes, um, mostly in force, two injuries, and then Lloris came back. So it was pretty similar. I mean, they tried to do a bit more, kind of playing the ball out from the back, but it didn't really work, to be honest. Like, they got caught a few times and invited pressure on. Like, it, it's a risk and reward tactic, that, and... You know, if it works, you invite you sort of invite the press onto you, and then you you beat it, and then you've got to run at the Everton defence. But they didn't really do that successfully, and actually gave Everton a couple of chances by doing it. Even though rationally, there was no reason to suppose it would be massively different, given that they've appointed the assistant to the head coach who's just gone, and they had very little time on the training ground. But you still hope that maybe somehow, you know, with Conte out the building, players are going to be a bit more relaxed and might you know, express themselves a bit more, but it it just didn't happen. And I think it, it, it really was just more of the same. And what's the latest on the search for the new manager? Well, the, the problem they have is that their director of football is banned from football by FIFA. And he was the guy who was leading the search. So to a large extent, they're limited until they find out the result of his appeal on April 19th. So they're in a little bit of a holding pattern there. I mean, look, it may well get accelerated if, you know, results continue to be bad and you know yes Paratici was leading the search but if the opportunity comes up for someone and they can move quickly I'm sure they'll take it but it's hard to see them getting in someone permanent before the end of the season because I think all the managers they would want are either at clubs and aren't going to leave or even if they're unattached they're probably going to want to wait until the summer and see how things shake out at the various other clubs that might be looking for a new manager come the end of the season. For more on Tottenham make sure you're listening to The View From The Lane with Danny Kelly. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, and by the way, Everton weren't the only big team to rise out of the drop zone last night. In Spain, Valencia's late equaliser against Rayo Vallecano lifted them to 17th in La Liga, but they're only safe on goal difference. You're listening to The Briefing Show from The Athletic. Just some mid-table football on TV tonight, but it might be worth a look. Last season, Liverpool came second and Chelsea were third, and they played two cup finals against each other. But now Liverpool are eighth and Chelsea are 11th. They face off at Stamford Bridge. 
watch it on Sky Sports in the UK. If you're in the US, you get your pick of the Premier League games because they're all on Peacock. There's also Leeds United against Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth against Brighton and Leicester City against Aston Villa. There are some big domestic cup games in Germany, Spain and Italy tonight too. They're all on ESPN in the US or Viaplay in the UK. Apart from Bilbao against Osasuna in the Copa del Rey, that's on BT Sport. That's all from us. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, make sure you take advantage of our latest offer. Go to theathletic.com forward slash TBS and it's $1.99 a month for your first year. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and if you've got the time, be sure to give us a review as well. I'm Joey Durso, your producer was Mike Stavrou and The Briefing Show will be back tomorrow. The Athletic.